supervising all that we're doing, and Michael Wick as well. All right, inside your program is a sermon outline. I hope you'll take that out so you can follow along with me this morning. And my text is a familiar one, I hope, for you from the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So far than the reading of God's Word. There is something on my cell phone that, I think, saved my marriage. It's called a GPS. Anyone remember what GPS, it's an acrostic, what does it stand for? Global Positioning System, where there is a satellite that has the coordinates and it helps guide me where I need to go and it shows me where I am and it actually directs me along the path. And oh, my friends, before GPS, the torture that my poor wife endured as we're driving in the car and she's assigned the job of navigating and it's at night and we're trying to make our way through North Jersey or through Manhattan or or Long Island and it's crazy streets and we're trying to find our way and I'm anxious and I think my hunches we go this way and her hunches we go that way and, and, and we're turning the pages on the city atlas and it's so frustrating. And then... We got GPS, and the stress level is reduced, and the guidance system is in place. And the better GPS systems not only give us an outline of where to go, but it tells us if there are obstacles up ahead, and it can reroute us when circumstances are difficult. I love my GPS. Now, all summer long, we've been studying relationships. We took a break from our study through the book of Romans, and we've been asking ourselves, using a paradigm that our friend Ken Sandy has put together, asking ourselves how to achieve relational wisdom. This is something much better than secular psychology's notion of emotional intelligence, which is all well and good, but relational wisdom captures all that the Bible says, even beyond modern relational theories. And it shows us how we are to connect in the most important relationships, our relationship with God and our relationship with the people that God has put in our path. How do we relate to each other. And we've seen, bear with me, but if you're new to us, what we've seen is there are three major components to relational wisdom. Do you remember that? And they are God, self, and others. And there are two dynamics within each of those components. We call it awareness and engagement. And the person who's good at relationships 
is someone who is God-aware and God-engaged who is self-aware, self-managing, self-engaged, and other-aware, and other-engaged. And, and it's like a wheel, 360, that we cycle through. And, and what's been so, it's been gratifying is we've had a lot of feedback this summer, and people have been doing honest assessments of themselves. I hope you have been. And some folks have said, you know, John, I think that I have some sense of self-awareness, but I've never been very good at empathy. I've never been very aware of my impact on others. And, or somebody else says, you know, I've learned how to think about others, but I don't manage my emotions very well. And this has been a, a very stimulating time for me. Well, what we're going to do today and the following two weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to take each of the components now that it's sort of all before us, and we're going to look this week at God, the God component. Next week is the self component. And then the week after that is the other component, okay? And today we come to this first part, and it's really important because it's okay that I have a GPS in my car. But according to our friend Ken Sandy, it is much more important that you have a GPS in your soul. It's not a global positioning system. It's a God positioning system. And it is God who gives you the coordinates and who gives you the guidance and makes your path straight and who leads you forward. And that's what our text is talking about here. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And then you will fear the Lord. You will turn from evil. You will serve Him. A GPS in your life. And for this, the little acrostic It's the outline this morning. How to have that. Well, it's a heart that will G, a heart that will glorify God. If you turn it over, then it will be a heart that pursues God. And then it will be a heart that serves God. GPS. Maybe you can remember that as you leave here. And so point number one, very simply, this is where we begin North Shore Community Church. We want to be people who are aware of God. What does that mean? Throughout the Bible, it simply means to be astounded and gripped by who He is. All right? God aware. And we often say around here, if you've heard it once, you've heard it a hundred times, you'll hear it another hundred times, that God does not agree to just be a spoke on the wheel of your life. That's the way it is for a lot of people, even religious people. God's a spoke on the wheel of my life. Of course, there's my vocation, my job, my money, my sex life, my relationships, my hobbies, and, and there's God. What do we know from the Bible? God says... No, I'm not going to just be a spoke on the wheel of your life. I'm going to be where? The hub of the wheel. He's the hub of the wheel. Redeeming, reforming, recasting, healing, changing, transforming every part 
of your life. It leads, essentially, to a heart of trust and a heart of worship of God. You see this everywhere with King David in, in First Chronicles. You have this sense of where David is overwhelmed by who God is and what God has done. He's so God-aware that he cries out in 1 Chronicles 16.29. You see it in the program there. It says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. This is the picture of a, somebody who is God-aware. And he, like a magnet, is drawn to God. Is your heart drawn to God? Yeah, I know, I know. It's old-fashioned language. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. That might be old-fashioned to you, but it's just saying you see Him and you go, That's a better translation of the verse. The glory do your name. The beauty of your holiness. And David describes again and again, I I love Psalm 138, verse 5, speaking of the people who have their breath taken away by God, and they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Why do we worship? Why do we sing here every Lord's Day? Some of you in your home fellowship groups, you sing to the Lord and family gatherings. You actually sing to you sing in the car, you're listening to Christian music, singing along. Why? Because you are aware of the glory. Do his name. Jesus taught this to his disciples, and he laid it very clearly. He says, You shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you serve. And we become so aware, particularly, of God's self-revelation through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the glorious self-disclosure of God. He came into the world. He said to Philip, don't you know me? I and the Father are one. And Paul writes in Philippians 2, of our response to God the Son, Jesus Christ, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, I want that to be my soul, but what happens to me? What happens to me is sometimes I forget And my heart grows cool and even cold. And my vision of God gets some glaucoma, gets blurry. And I'm distracted. And I forget God. So let me, as the chief repenter among you, Let me tell you what I try and do. What I try and do is to come and pour through the Scriptures, whatever passage it might be, and ask myself, 
Who is God? Do you do this? Who is God? Because that's where I'm going to find out. In the Bible, in the Scriptures, I'm going to discover His own self-revelation in His Word. And as He shows me Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I'm going to discover Him. And maybe, just maybe, this poor heart will one more time say, Oh, you are the God of love. The God of love. And I will meditate on the God of love. And the ice begins to crack and break. And the warmth begins to flow again. I will remember that He is the God of righteousness that He is pure and holy. He hates what is evil. He punishes sin. He's straight. He's right. He's true. He's good. And I will meditate. I will know the God of grace, the generous God. I will know the God of forgiveness because my sins are so many. I say, oh, God of truth. And in a world of liars, and liars are everywhere. The Bible says all men are liars, women too. We can be gender nonspecific with that verse. In a world of liars, there is one who is true. It's God. God is true, though every man be a liar. God is the God of hope. He he calls, that's his name. He says, I'm the God of hope. And in this crazy world that's out of control, this is the God who works all things together for the good of those. And I start to say, God, this is a mess, but I, I do wonder what you're going to do. What are you going to do to work this for good, for your glory? I'm going to trust you. Lord, what are you going to do? I ponder the God incarnate who leaves the glory of heaven. Michael led us in that song, who stepped down from heaven's throne and came into the misery of this world for his enemies. And he takes up, we are told in John 13, the towel, the king, not just the king, but the king of kings, I ponder this, who gets on his knees and washes the smelly feet of His disciples. And I become aware of the God who is beautiful and the beauty of God. The colors. The Bible describes God sometimes in marvelous color. The prism of light. He's described as surrounded by the sounds. The best orchestra you ever heard is only a silly hint of the glorious music of God's the Spirit and the beauty of God in His holiness, the Alpha and the Omega. And then I am gripped and astounded, not just by who He is, but what He has done. And I remember, I remember that God is the God who created all things. And this world is not an accident. Not only does He create all things, but He sustains everything. And the life Uh, every human life is a gift from God. Every breath you take, every breath you have is a gift from God. Oh, you go off to college and you learn that, well, it's quite extraordinary. You are this bag of chemicals. That's what you are. And there are these chemical reactions occurring and that's 
what we call human life and, and, um, and your bunch of electrical impulses. That's it until they stop and then you die and you become worm food. And that's, that's what the world says, but not what the Bible says. God, the Bible tells us God sustains every life, every pulse of your heart, of you. And then he's the God who saves, the God who forgives, the God who sent Christ to the cross. And there, he not only saves the world, he saves you. And all his elect are brought from death to life. And lo and behold, you are among them. Why? Why? Did you just happen to be smarter and better looking and have a little more money in your pocket, so God said, I guess you? Oh, no. By grace, God laid his love upon you. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, he brought you to life, and you become gripped by what he has done and who he is. You are God-aware in your life. This is the first part of any relational wisdom for the Christian. And we say, trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord is not, is, it's not fatalism. It's not, well, gee, okay, God must be there. I'll tr- figure he's going to work things out. That's not what he says. It's trust in the Lord with all your heart. And this leads to point number two. That it means that with all your heart, it means your heart will pursue this God of whom you've become aware. Okay, that's point number two in our GPS. Pursue God. And it says at the beginning of verse 6, in all your ways acknowledge Him. Now, this word acknowledge in the English language is not the best translation of the word because if I acknowledge you, I walk by, I tip my hat, and then I go on my way. You acknowledge someone's presence. No, no, that's not what we're talking about here. It's, it's In all your ways, pursue Him. Engage Him. And He will make straight your paths. One commentator I read, uh, Steve Shepard, he says this. He says, it seems here that in everything we need to look to Him and to His guidance. And then he says this, I like this. He says, whether it's going to vacation or two, your vocation. What's that? Your vocation. That's your job. Whether it's to vacation or to your vocation. Whether you are praying or playing, acknowledge Him always, always in your marriage, in your family, with your finances, with your, the other kids at school, always thinking about God, aware that He is there, that He is with you. That's what he wants. And I was reminded of a bumper sticker uh, when I was growing up. I saw a lot of bumper stickers. This is in the 70s. I'm dating myself, but um, uh, I was born in 1957, for those of you who are wanting to calculate. But, but in the 70s, there was this bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Now, I'm sure that was, whoever printed that off, it was very well-meaning. Uh, and um, maybe you even saw that too. I'm sure their intentions were good, but what, what does a pilot do? A pilot 
calls on his co-pilot if he needs him. (laughs) Because the pilot's piloting the plane, but if I need the co-pilot, got to go to the bathroom or or something, then co-pilot, you can step in. And one more time, do you understand, this is a terrible bumper sticker. God will not be your co-pilot. God will very nicely ask you to sit, maybe first class, probably in coach. (laughs) And he will be the pilot. In all your ways, acknowledge him. You, you and I, according to our theology, We're those crazy people who are rushing the door, wanting to grab the controls away, saying, no, I'd rather fly this thing. That's the stupidest thing in the world for us. It's insanity. The pilot flies the plane. God is your pilot. What is Jeremiah 29, 13? You you, you say, but Lord, I, I can't find you. Preacher, how do I find the Lord? And Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And there's that phrase again, you see. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Seek the Lord with all your heart. That simply means with all I know myself to be. Here I am, Lord, and everything I know myself to be, I surrender to you. I take my seat back in in row 57 in the middle. I wanted an aisle seat, but you gave me the middle seat. That's okay. It's okay, Lord. Be my pilot. You seek him with all your heart. In this church, we want to be people who are good at relationships. Good relationships happen when we are God-aware. And they happen when we are then God-engaged. There's a little book. It's been around for almost 300 years. It's called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It's It's a... Beautiful, classic, devotional. Brother Lawrence was a cook. He was a cook who practiced the presence of God as one long, unending experience in his life. And he writes in notes and letters to his friends, which are recorded here, how whether he is bustling around the kitchen or whether he's on his knees in prayer, he practices the presence of God. Engaging God. And I like that. It's not just in the chapel. It's not just here. In fact, in your bulletin, I, I put the reflection for this Sunday from Brother Lawrence. And he says something so beautiful. He says, It isn't necessary that we stay in the church in order to remain in God's presence. We can make our hearts personal chapels where we can enter any time to talk to God privately. These conversations can be so loving and gentle and anyone can have them. And then Brother Lawrence, in his beautiful way, he says, is there any reason not to begin? And and I would ask you that question. Maybe even some of you even to begin for the first time with Jesus. Maybe you would say, you describe the guy with the hard heart or the cold heart, that's me. Well, Brother Lawrence says, that's okay, but now's a good time to begin with the Lord, to surrender, to 
seek Him, become aware, and then to be engaged as you are gripped by Him. And if you have begun, you need to fan your heart into flame. This is the part of the regular routine of the Christian, acknowledging Him in all your ways. It's not one time at the beginning at some crusade. It's all your ways acknowledge Him. Fan it into flame. Why? Because, well, my heart grows cold. My eyes grow dim, right? How do you do it, Pastor John? I'm going to teach you right now what I do. If you want to write these three words down, they might be helpful. They might not be. I don't know. They're the words information, meditation, and contemplation. Information, meditation, contemplation. Here's how it happens, that the heart gets fanned into flame as, 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 the, as our fathers, Martin Luther and Calvin and Brother Lawrence and, and, uh, and, and so many. Information. Jesus died on the cross. Important information. Jesus died on the cross. But is that enough? No. Then I begin to meditate, using Scripture to inform what does this cross mean? The cross is the place, it is the moment in time when the justice of God and the mercy of God met and kissed each other and the perfect sacrifice for sins was made. Made by who? A priest with perfect, clean hands offers up a spotless sacrifice. Who is this? It's Jesus Himself, the great high priest, who Himself is the spotless sacrifice. Amazing. Amazing. And I meditate, and the wonder of it carries my heart away. Is that enough? It is not. Because then our fathers in the faith who would fan their hearts into flame say, Now you contemplate this. That is a, a fancy way of saying you make it your own. It's not the cross where Jesus died, it is the cross where Jesus died for me, for my son and daughter for my wife, for my church. He died for us. Oh, can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? How does the hymn go? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love, the hymn writer says. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's contemplation. Is that your experience, friends? This is not just for the preacher. This is for every one of us to fan into flame. And you say, I try, but you know what? I, I doze off. Pastor John, I doze off during your sermons. Can you imagine when I'm just sitting on the couch at home? And that's why we need to do it together. Why does it says in Hebrews 10, 24, do not separate yourself from others, but encourage each other. The Bible says that this, this happens in life on life. Together we spur one another on to the Lord. Really? Remember the campfire? The campfire where you have all the charcoal? And you take, it's burning bright, but you take one of those charcoals out and you put it on the side of the pit. And what happens? Well, it burns bright red for a while. And then what? Pretty soon 
it gets gray and cold and just sort of smolders. That might be some of us. But then you pick that same coal back up and you put it back in the fire, and what happens to it? begins to engage again and it becomes hot again and the heart is fanned back into flame in the body of Christ. And when all these things come together and we now are not only God aware to glorify God and God engaged to pursue God, we then, point three, we serve God. And as you walk through life, He makes straight your path Do you see it? And you turn from evil, not wise in your own eyes, but you fear the Lord. Oh, friends, I have to say at the beginning of verse 7 there, it says, be not wise in your own eyes. And he's just repeating what he said, not leaning on your own understanding. Pay attention here. Why does he say that? Twice in the same little passage. Well, when you lean on your own understanding, what happens when you lean on an old fence that's rotted? What happens when you lean on it? It collapses, and you collapse with it. If you're going to lean on your own understanding, you are going to be like John Yenchko driving in the, in the crazy streets of Manhattan in the middle of the night in the pouring rain, shouting at his wife, trying to figure out which way to go without the GPS. And it's even worse than that. Proverbs 16.25, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man. Do you know this verse? Several times in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man. It seems right to you because you're smart. You're clever. At least you're smarter than the person next to you. You'll get by. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Parents, it's important for you to teach this verse to your children. This is a good verse, family memorizing. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, but lean not on your own understanding. Instead, God aware, God engaged. I am so glad this church is a healing community for so many people. Some people have been through such painful marriages and horrible divorces. And may God use us to be a healing community for them. But they married people they never should have married. They leaned on their own understanding. In all their ways, they refused to acknowledge the Lord, and they could have cared less that their potential spouse was aware and engaged with God. After all, she was really hot. He actually had a good job. But cold as ice when it came to God. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. You say, I thought this was about relationships. It really is. In that first point, I listed for you all those things. Knowing the God of love, what will that do to you? It will make you a loving person. Knowing the God of grace, if you are gripped by His grace, you will become a gracious person. 
If you are astounded by his generosity, do you know what will happen to you? You will become generous. If you have seen the one kneeling before you, washing your smelly feet, and your wife is exhausted, you will wash the dishes. Do you see? Encounter with God changes the way you relate to others. Your GPS, what is it? A God-positioning system. Would you bow your hearts with me now, your minds with me? Let's invite him to make us aware of himself and engaged with him and to enjoy him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of knowing you. We sang it earlier in the service, knowing you, Jesus, There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're my rest. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. We pray that you will become the hub of the wheel of our lives and the hub of the wheel of our relationships. 